This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. For a full year, we're looking at the life, teachings, and works of Jesus from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all weaved together. You know, ben, last week we, we took a look at just one parable, the parable of the four soils. And today we're going to try to look at a couple of other parables. This time let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and we'll take a look at, first of all, the parable of the weeds in the field. You know, Jesus really liked to use these farming metaphors. We, we know that his disciples, a number of them were fishermen. I don't know if any of them were farmers. It doesn't say, does it? And, and Jesus was the son of a carpenter, or maybe even a stonemason of some sort. But there didn't seem to be a whole lot of farming in the background between him and his disciples, as far as we can tell. Why do you think he was always running around using all these farming metaphors when he was talking to people? They're living in an agrarian society, so I'm, I'm assuming that's where, uh, that's where he went. You, you have like big garden at your house? You plant one every year? <laughs> you, know, you know what? I do have a small vegetable garden um, that, that usually becomes crazy enough overgrown by weeds by the end of the season and uh and a couple of weeks ago we had uh fishers had their spring cleaning or spring uh dump thing where you can just take and i asked my wife i'm like last time they had their their dump thing in the fall she was there was an an old lawnmower that has been broken for years that we actually moved uh two fishers with you moved a broken lawnmower Uh, yeah which that that marital discord um (laughs) <laughs> that I did that, but so I had to go get that dumped in the fall, and then on the spring, I asked my wife, "I'm like, what do you want me to dump?" And she said, "I want you to take that vegetable garden box. I want you to pull it from the yard, and I want you to go dump it." <laughs> so uh, I did have a vegetable garden um, that had some tomatoes and uh, some zucchini, and mainly the jalapenos uh, that I love. But uh, yeah, it is it is. No moss, as they say. Okay, so the, the marriage is improved, and you're <laughs> and you're going to be heading to the farmer's market when you want vegetables, right? That's right, and Fisher's has a wonderful farmer's market uh, as well. I don't it know really if you've does. ever been there. Yeah, you've been it there? Has, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. In fact, you know, I, I gave up that vegetable gardening long, long ago. It, it's, it's a battle with rabbits. It's a story that uh, <laughs> I don't know if Jesus would have told the battle with the rabbits story, but I lost. I lost to the rabbits. That's how bad they overwhelm you. They over, Just they their sheer numbers overwhelm you. You take care of one, there's a hundred behind them. Yeah, the the upshot of the story is finally my my dad came to where we were living and uh, helped me put a rabbit fence around our garden. And a pretty good pretty good little sized garden there at my house. My dad helped me. We buried that thing several inches deep, like you're supposed to. So we had a rabbit fence around it, and I was in one day pulling out some weeds. And I found a rabbit nest inside the inside the fence that was to keep the rabbits out. We'd put it in there six months earlier, and there was a rabbit nest in there. It's like, how did this happen? Rabbit ingenuity. And so I found the rabbit, the mama rabbit, and started chasing it around my my little garden. And if I hadn't seen it with my eyes, I wouldn't have believed it. That mama rabbit climbed the rabbit fence 
went up one side and down the other. And I thought, well, all this is is protecting it from the neighborhood dogs. Like, (laughs) what have I done here? So I gave up gardening. Okay, so Jesus is talking about all these, uh, you know, gardening type, these these farming parables, and he does another one, and we're, we're in Matthew 13. And once again, he gives an explanation of the meaning of the parable because, you know, they were, they probably asked him all the time and we just don't have all of the explanations written down. Like, what does this mean, Jesus? So he, he gives the explanation. Let's start in with the story itself and then we'll go to the explanation this time. The story itself is in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. That was the problem, Ben. You had an enemy coming at night sowing weed weed seeds in your uh, vegetable garden there. And that guy went away, it says. In verse 26, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell you, the harvesters, first to collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. There's a lot going on here. Fortunately, Jesus gives us uh, the meaning behind the different things that are in it. It's down in, now in verse 37. You have to skip a little bit to get down to it. And he tells us what each thing stands for. The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. So that's Jesus himself. The field is the world. Remember the last time, the last podcast, the soil was us. This time, the soil or the field is the world itself. He says the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. Well, the last time the the seed was the word of God. This time the seed is the people of God. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. So this this is not just a story about how do we how do we manage to get through our faith from day to day or week to week. This is the long view, isn't it? It's the it's the view of not just now or maybe even through the end of my life, but the end of the age. Mm-hmm. What's, what's Jesus doing in this story that, that may be different from the, the four soils or just may be something that's useful for us to hear as we think about our own lives as the good seed of God that's been planted in the world? Yeah, I'll be curious to get your take on this as well. You know, when I read it, one of the things that I guess it's an, encur- it's an encouragement, it's also really instructive it's just the reality that, that as a follower of Christ, you're going to be surrounded by the weeds. 
Um, I think so often we get distracted by the weeds um, to where Christians can. We can have a, a disposition of persistent complaint about, uh, about opposition. So rather than living faithfully into our relationship with Christ, we get hyper-focused on, uh, you know, on the proverbial weeds, where, where honestly, we, we want them pulled. Uh, we want them extracted uh, from life. I, I think sometimes as Christians, you know, we get so, uh, we get so in, embedded in, in politics, for, for instance, because oftentimes we're looking for somebody who is going to accommodate us. And so, uh, so rather than, again, just seeking to live faithfully for Christ, recognizing that, that in this world there will be weeds, there will be opposition, uh, there will be those who reject Christ. That's just reality. And so uh, within that, how, what, what is God calling me to do? That's a, good, that's a good question. You know, in this story, Jesus names the devil, Satan, as the one who is actively working against those who are followers of Christ, actively planting weeds that grow up around us and compete with us. So whether those weeds are other people sure. or other things, as you've mentioned, perhaps different political bents that we get super worked up over, or the things that cause us to, to not be fruitful, to mm. bear, to bear mm-hmm. fruit in our lives, that to remember that, that there is an evil one who is working against us, actively working against us, and wants nothing more than for us just to give up. Mm-hmm. And, and that he doesn't come uh, with horns and a pitchfork, right? He's manipulative. He he's, he's deceptive. He does not announce uh, himself. And so, you know, in seeking to live in a relationship with Christ, it is it's, it's that constant, as we talked about last week, that constant... Uh, desire to to live in submission to Christ, to to live with a, a posture of humility, that we would be hyper focused on what it is to be faithful uh, to Him, knowing that the weeds themselves might look like wheat uh, when they're actually weeds. And one of the things that that I said last time is that I've given up vegetable gardening, but I've I've retained perennial gardening. I have I have this love for growing perennials that bloom anytime from the crocus in March all the way uh, through through late fall, really, things that, that come up. And of course, my nemesis is once again rabbits, <laughs> but, but beyond that, it's weeds. Um, and sometimes they do look similar, especially if you get the, the tall grasses. I like to have the grasses that they can, they can grow up, and then even through the winter, they stay nice. And we have things growing up like inside of the grasses or right around them, they can in the beginning just look like part of the the landscape grasses that mm-hmm. are growing up. When and you dig your hand in there, and it's some form of poison ivy or 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 nettles or something with thorns on it, and you realize, okay, this is not part of what is supposed to be there. I think there's a truth to that. Mm-hmm. What you're saying that sometimes it can look the same. It can, it can look good. It can look right. It can look healthy or holy for us, but we have to be discerning that there are these weeds that are growing up around us and even through us and maybe even in us, Mm. which are very, very 
unhealthy. And a part of this story seems to really be looking at people, though, and saying, you're going to have people around you who are not going to buy this Christian faith. Mm. They're going to work against you, and it's not your job to worry about them. Yeah. I mean, try to win them to Christ. This is not an evangelism parable. This is one, I think, of saying, stand firm, stay there. Because he goes on to give in the explanation down in Matthew 13, verse 40. He says, as the weeds, remember the weeds are the the people of the evil one. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, that's a hard picture. So it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. You know, we don't like to talk about hell very much. We, we do like to talk about heaven. We do like to, to wish and hope that everybody that we've ever known is in a better place. In, in some ways, I believe that perhaps many modern Christians or American Christians are what I call functional universalists. We don't, mm. we don't necessarily have a theology which says there is no hell, but functionally or practically, we believe that everybody that we've ever known is in heaven, regardless of whether or not they, they lived their life or embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. This, this picture is a tough picture. It's kind of a, a hard one for us to see sometimes. I, I, maybe we don't even dwell on this parable very much because of the, the image that the Son of Man will send out his angels and they'll weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. To me, it's just a, a reminder that what we, are, what we are doing with our faith is not simply a way to occupy our Sundays mm. or a little bit of our mornings or evenings when we spend time with, with God, but it's, it's life and death. It's eternal life and death, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And our, our mantra oftentimes within the body of Christ, especially in dealing with death, you know, we immediately, the, the sentiment of most hearts is that he or she is in a better place, right? Mm-hmm. Whether they've had a relationship with Christ or, or not, that's our ultimate disposition. As if in some ways there's almost this, this perception of entitlement uh, to salvation um, absent any understanding of God's justice, absent understanding that God's holiness demands justice. What, what amazes me, though, is that the, the holiness of God, the justice that we ultimately uh, deserve actually magnifies the love of God. The idea that while we were dead in sin and trespass, while we were deserving of God's justice, uh, God pursued us in Christ— and Jesus bore the penalty we deserve, uh, that we might not, uh, you know, endure the fire. Um, 
that should speak into our hearts. That should that 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 indescribable love that we know in Christ is what should ultimately compel us, right, to die to self, to live uh, for Christ. And so, as we reflect upon the eternal punishment that that Scripture speaks into, that Christ speaks into, it is an unavoidable reality of of Scripture of the biblical text, of the biblical narrative. It's an unavoidable reality of what Jesus uh, declared. Um, But in the presence of that reality, in the presence uh, of Christ speaking to eternal punishment, there's, there's the, 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 what comes into the foreground is the unimaginable love of God that has pursued us in Christ, that should overwhelm our hearts um, and then should compel our lives uh, to to magnify God uh, through our lives, to to share Christ uh, with others. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The reality is we're all weed seeds. That's right. And it's the work of Christ only that makes us wheat seeds yep. and makes us the good seeds that he wants to plant, the good soil that he wants to plant in. Well, in the middle, right in the middle of this, between the parable and the explanation of Jesus, Jesus tosses in a few other parables. And one of those is in Matthew 13, verse 31. And it's, it's a whole different feel. You know, this, this kind of had some heaviness to it. But the next one's this, this different kind of, I think, approach that Jesus wants us to have when we're looking at going after our faith. It's in Matthew 13, verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He goes on in verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So in both of these parables, the mustard seed and and the yeast, it's this picture of something super tiny that grows and grows and grows and grows until it becomes big. It becomes well life-changing in some ways for the birds, the, the little tiny mustard seed. And by the way, mustard seeds are super tiny, if you've yeah. ever seen one, and they do become a, a pretty good-sized plant. And, and yeast is super tiny, and it works through, in this case, 60 pounds of flour. This woman must have had some kitchen. <laughs> and uh, so it's working through there. This is a different feel of a parable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and this one I really relate to because I I worked in a a uh, dive uh, pizza restaurant when I was in college, and so we had to make a lot of dough, and it, I can't remember the exact uh, portions or whatever, but or the exact amounts of yeast that we would put in uh, as we were making dough. But this this little amount of yeast, and if we accidentally exceeded that, we used to put this dough in these huge, you know. 50 gallon trash cans and just a little bit extra yeast would cause that dough to overflow 
those trash cans. It always amazed me that this little bit of something could have that, that level of impact. You know, a lot of times within the church context, we think that we have to have these like massive events as a means to expose people uh, to Christ, as a means to draw people in uh, into a relationship with Christ. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And so as I, as I read the parable of the mustard seed or the parable of the yeast, I think about just what it means to, to be a good neighbor. Um, the little things that, that we do as a means to build relationships, as a means to build friendships that might grant us the opportunity to, to gain a hearing uh, for the sake of Christ. It's, you know, I mean, a simple wave uh, to a neighbor, an intentional wave to a neighbor who's out uh, getting the mail that, that could lead to a conversation, that can lead to uh, a friendship. Um, the smallest thing uh, that, that we might do, you know, that there's been times at, you know, at a grocery store and somebody's forgotten their wallet or whatever, and they're frantically searching for, uh, you know, for their wallet, they don't have it. And just the opportunity to step in uh, to that space and, and, you know, buy some groceries, whatever it might be, but these small acts of loving kindness or, or these opportunities that we might have to go grab a coffee with somebody, to be in relationship with them, to, to ask them uh, about their life and to see how God moves and, and weaves that conversation uh, for his sake. And so as I, as I read these parables, it's oftentimes uh, a guide to how we as followers of Christ should live in community, should live in relationship uh, with others and, and see what God does. It also applies, I, I think, to our own spiritual walk. Absolutely. We don't have to. We don't have to become a the, the Rhodes Scholar of the Bible overnight, right? It's just a little bit at a time. The growth is incremental. It grows in us. We we spend time in Scripture. We spend time with other people, in community with them, talk, talking with other other believers. We. We grow in the faith just bits and bits at a time, and we end up being different people. It's, it's like a child. You know, we have some grandchildren. My wife, Lisa, and I have some, some grandchildren, and every time I see them, they're bigger. But, you know, while they're at our house, they're not growing. Right. Well, it looks like it. I mean, they're not any bigger when, when they came in than when, they, than when they go out, but they probably are just incrementally. And then if I don't see them for a couple weeks or a month, they've, they've grown because they're at that age, you know, one, two years, three years old. They're, they're growing all the time. And I think our faith is like that. Yeah. It, it just expands and grows. And, and people underestimate what God can do in their lives yeah. in a long haul because we can't imagine that a little bit of yeast will do that. A little mustard seed will do that. A little bit of faith a little bit of faithfulness, diligence, pursuing God day after day after day will change us that much. But it does. It really does. Well, uh, brother, take us out of here today on, on this. And, and uh, what's the word you want to give to everybody who's listening? Well, I think hearing from you, I, I think to you know, the emphasis around patience, you know, the idea of relational growth, um, in our relationship, uh, with Jesus Christ. I know early in my walk with Christ, it, you know, I had been a Christian for a hot second and then went to seminary and 
I knew less than I felt like everybody else that I was uh, in class with seemed to know an astronomical amount uh, more than me, um, which oftentimes added to some humorous events where somebody would say, hey, Greenbaum, that, that passage is in Hezekiah, and I'm scouring scripture trying to find Hezekiah, which, ha, uh, ha, 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 ha. Uh, but that being said, there was like this deep desire like where I had to seemingly in my own mind grow overnight to where it became more about informational download in order to keep up with those around me so I could feel, uh, I guess, astute, so I could feel wise um, rather than truly just plowing into the relational aspect of mm-hmm. it and allowing God to change and to transform uh, my heart, my mind. Uh, for the sake of the calling that he had placed uh, upon my life. And so as I hear your words, uh, the, the one big word, I guess, overarching word uh, in that is, is patience and knowing that as we give ourselves over in relationship with God, that we are his beloved, uh, his love toward us doesn't shift upon, based upon uh, our knowledge um, but as we enter into relationship, as we give ourselves to the relationship, God moves within our hearts uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit to change and, and to transform us. Um, and so just to, to be at peace in the relationship, uh, but also to obviously give ourselves to the relationship and then see how God moves and, and works in and through us. That's a, that's a really good word. Uh, folks, thanks for listening today. In episode 18, we will look at an unforgettable boat ride with Jesus. So come back next week and listen to that. If you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or find our church app and click on the Life of Jesus link. We'll talk to you next time. God bless.